context of this particular passage here in just a few moments, but I want to draw your attention to these words of Paul. He said, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. The 11th verse says, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at, at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But Paul here gives us a word of encouragement, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Isn't that powerful today? This 10th verse is what my attention is really drawn, but I didn't want to take it away from the context fully because Paul lists some things that Timothy, he said, that you know about. He said, you know, my doctrine, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, my patience, and my ability by the grace of God to endure persecutions. And uh, certainly we all have to have the moment in our life where we have that ability to be able to endure persecutions. So I didn't want to leave this out. But there was two wor three words that caught my attention here in this 10th verse. He said, my manner of life. My manner of life. And I want to drop that down in your spirit for a few moments today because that's what I want to go into here today and just look at it as intimately as we can. My manner of life. Father, I thank you for the people today, for every person who's gathered here today. And I'm so privileged to have an opportunity to be able to speak, to be able to share what you, I believe, have laid upon my heart. And I ask today that the quickening of the Holy Spirit would take the words that are spoken. And God, that he would write them. If I was able to write them, Father, on a tablet, Father, and call them notes, I pray that the Holy Spirit would write upon the fleshly tablet of the heart of every listening person under the sound of my voice today, that there would be nothing in front of us or nothing behind us to distract us from the word of God today. It's in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, and you can be seated. I want to take a moment again just real quickly to share with you kind of this, this sermon series that has become a stimulus, or I gained my stimulus as I was teaching the men at the other side. On Wednesdays now, my fifth or sixth week that I'm teaching consecutively and wanted to be able to do everything that I could to teach the men about a belief system that's based upon the Word of God. And in that passage of Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, Paul, you know, firmly, we've been going through this, reminds Timothy, he said that you know these things and you need to be assured of whom you have learned these things. You need to know from where they, they have originated. You need to know of the, of the character and the faith of the people that passed them to you. And you need to have a validation of your belief system that believes and trusts that this is the Word of God. That's the passage there. We've been in it for several weeks. You're familiar with it, right? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness that the man or the one of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, Right? Paul told Timothy, in light of these things, and the soon sudden appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, right? Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for there'll come a day and time when men will have itching ears, and they'll turn away from the truth and turn to fables, right? But God said, I'm looking for men and women that will stand up and do the work of an evangelist and hold fast and firm to what they believe. And I'm going to trust that our fellowship and who we are and what we believe, we're going to be, not that we want to stand up and try to create within ourselves this iconic figure that we believe we're the only truth bearers in the world. We're certainly not. But I do believe in an age of apostasy, God will have those that will hold to the truth of the Word of God. And one thing that I find very personal about this particular passage of Scripture is Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy is his 
son in the faith. And this is not by... This is not the record of theologians. This is by Paul's own words. Both epistles that are uh, written to Timothy that we have in the Bible, uh, Paul plainly, affectionately calls this young man who is the son of a Greek and a Jewish woman. He says, you are my son in the faith. And Paul had chosen Timothy to travel with him on his missionary journey. And they had had a lot of experiences, certainly together. And certainly as a result of that, they also had a lot of time together. And in this particular uh, account in 2 Timothy chapters both 3 and 4, if we were to read farther, we know that Paul has recognized by the revelation of the Holy Spirit that he's not going to live that much longer. Because he even said it with his own pen in the fourth chapter, the time of my departure is at hand. And so he's writing perhaps from a Roman jail cell with a revelation and the possibility they might get out of jail one day, but that doesn't mean that he's going to live that much longer. Now he anticipates seeing Timothy again because he's asked Timothy to come to him and to bring both a coat as well as uh, some parchment and some documents that Paul uh, you know, held dear. But the thing, though, that, that I wanted to draw your attention to just real quickly is, is that Paul takes this opportunity based upon his deep personal affection and love for Timothy to speak to Timothy about things that he believed were going to be very pertinent to his life. And that's been the entire context of both First and especially Second Timothy as Paul is just saying, you know what, we're not going to be able to, to, to walk together much longer. And, and he would do the same thing that you would do if you had an opportunity to speak to those that you really care about and you knew that life was going to possibly take you a, a distances apart, that you would say, listen, I want to remind you of some things. And so Paul tells Timothy, I want to remind you of my doctrine. And he said, I want you to remind you of my patience. And I want to remind you of my love. I want to remind you of a lot of things in my life, but then there's one thing that he said he, that just caught my attention. He said, I want to remind you of my manner of life. He said, I want to remind you of the way that I lived. I want to remind you of how that I, I, I exhibited my character and my conduct in front of you. And so there's something I want to talk to you all about today. I shared with our church family for the last few weeks that it was possible that on this particular day that Sherry and I would have all of our children and their spouses and children potentially to be in service with us today. And that has happened. I mean, not everyone is here, but most everyone is here. And that's a very privileged opportunity that I have uh, to have them in service with me. And I'm very, very grateful for that. And I'm going to do something today. I'm going to preach to them. And you get to listen. And the reason why I'm going to do this just real quickly is because as our family grows, the, the, the day that we had yesterday might come farther and farther apart because life takes you around the world. And to have that sacred moment, you say, Pastor Brown, would you bring me here at 2 p.m. on a Sunday and preach to your, ki your children? Absolutely, I would. Because Paul cared enough about me that he wrote to his son, Timothy. Because he knew 2,000 years later there'd be a pastor named Lee Brown living both first in Shirley as a pastor and then in Heber Springs. And I would need pastoral insight. And he wrote personally to Timothy, but he wrote prophetically to me. And so I'm going to speak to them, but I'm not going to just speak to them. I'm going to speak through them. And I believe confidently in the things that I'm going to say have a bearing in your life equally as much as it does them as well. 
And there's things I want to talk to you about just real quickly. Those, those three words, my manner of life, or manner of life. I've added a fourth, my manner of life. And I'm not going to take the time to walk down with the Apostle Paul's life, but I am going to do something today. I'm going to do something that my pastor, Pastor Burton, would do occasionally. I do occasionally as well, and I'm going to live transparent in front of you. And by saying that is, is that the reason why I say of a transparency is because a lot of times pastors are like Clark Kent. And, and that is, we're, we're like Clark Kent. Now, see, deep inside, we know that we can, we can pull this back, and then there's a big S on our chest, and then there's something supernatural, and there's something, an anointing, but then there are also times when it's cloaked and it's hidden. And I wanted to be as transparent as I can in front of you today, and I want to share with them some things. I want to share with them a little bit about some things that I believe that I want to see the Holy Spirit write this on the tablet of their heart today. And I want to go with you, and I'll ask you to go with me just real quickly along my journey that allowed me to, to be able to say, listen, I believe if I have the strength of confidence to stand in front of you today and say, I believe that everybody has to have at least some measure of confidence in the man or the woman of God that stands in front of them that you can emulate their character. I believe that. I believe that I, the person that preaches to you ought to be the same man that walks down and co-mingles among you. I shouldn't be one way one day, come on somebody, and something entirely different at another time. And so Paul said, my manner of life. One of the things I want to draw your attention to, when I was a young man that shaped me, that started this process, there's going to be 10 bullet statements that I'm going to drop in your heart today. And I want to just drop these in and I'm going to give you through personal experience. When, when I was a young man, about 17 years of age, I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that became the undercurrent in my life that began to lead me into the, what, what I would call my way of life. So without the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I might not have ever have developed these disciplines that helped me become the person that I am today. Whether that's good or bad, I'm not asking you to measure me in any capacity, but I'm just saying in my own heart and life. But the baptism in the Holy Spirit became that compulsion, became that revelation, became that unveiling. And I want to encourage every one of you today, don't be afraid to be Pentecostal. Don't be afraid to embrace the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid to say, Pastor, I came to the front. The, the, the evangelist anointed me with oil. He prayed for me, laid hands on me, and I did not speak with other tongues. I'm telling you, if you will seek diligently, you will receive. I believe that with all my heart. Don't give up. Don't back up. Don't let unbelief. Don't let the devil. Don't let religion. Don't let anything rob you of saying, you know what? Maybe I haven't received yet, but I shall receive by faith in Jesus' name. Because it's life-altering and life-changing. And when I was 17 years of age, I was sacking groceries not far from here when I was a high school senior. And I would go to school at 8 a.m. and I would work till 10 a.m. Or excuse me, go to school from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. But I would leave at 10 a.m., drive to Heber, work from 10.30 to 2, sacking groceries and during the school year and drive back at 2 to be at basketball practice by 2.30. That's the way I did every day, Monday through Friday, for my entire senior year. And during that time period, of course, I was engaged to Sister Sherry. Yes, we've been together since I was 15. And so that makes 35 years of my life. So two-thirds of my life have been with Sister Sherry. And so I met a little man by the name of Ray Cawthron. And Brother Ray Cawthron had it on the back of his automobile, and I would sack his groceries and carry them out. And, 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 and he and I would talk, and on the back of his window of his car, it said these words, Jesus is Lord. Now, some of you, Sister Jeannie and Brother, Sister Brassfield, y'all know Brother Ray, and others among us know Brother Ray. Brother Ray was a meek and quiet spirit, but Brother Ray loved Jesus. 
He was the founder of the Prevailing Word Christian Center right across from the, the, the park here in town. And so he and I began to dialogue and talk, and I had accepted the call to preach a year earlier. And he's the one, actually, that led me into the Spirit-filled movement. And there's one thing, though, that Brother Ray did is he, as he, he and I began to develop a friendship and a relationship. Now, I'm 17. He's way in his 60s. Let me tell you, he loved Jesus with all of his heart. He invited me over to his home for lunch many times, and I'd go over, and you know what we would do? We would study the Scriptures together. And so at that time, at 17 years of age, and this is bullet point number one, and it's just I learned to study the Scriptures, to study the Word of God. That, yes, I didn't go to Bible college, I didn't go to a seminary, but I learned that if I would study the Word of God and I would pray over it, God could speak to me out of His Word. That God could quicken His Word in my heart and my life. And I want to say one thing to all the millennials under the sound of my voice today, and there's not as many here as what would normally be here today. Don't be afraid of an older person. Let me tell you, we, I thank God my kids are extremely talented just like yours are, but they don't know everything. And they need, I'm telling you, there's something that you can't get from watching a DVD. And there's some things that you can't get from reading a book until you have the experience. We can only teach you, uh, you know, with David. David said when he got ready to fight Goliath and they put the king's armor on him, he said, I've not proven these things. There's some things only time and experience will produce a, a, a provenness in your life. And so Brother Ray and I began to study the Word of God together, and that set me on the course to begin to grow in my knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I say this sometimes, and Aaron and I was having this conversation, Aaron Grubbs, on Wednesday night. Sometimes I'll say an ignorant hillbilly like me. And I'll say that as tongue-in-cheek, and I'll say it just a little bit because I know this. I'm not an ignorant hillbilly. What I'm saying is I'm not formally educated, but that doesn't mean that I don't know the Word of God. And like Paul told Timothy, Timothy, he said, Timothy, you know from where you got these things. You got these things because you studied the Scriptures, and the Scriptures have, have spoken to your heart. So but let me tell you this. you got to make a decision to study the Word of God. If you want to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, you've got to determine to do it. And in that process, though, Brother Ray, I can still remember it. He put a book together, and one of the, the key passages of Scripture in this book was 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. We won't go there, but Paul, it was in the preceding chapter, 2 Timothy 2, when he said, The servant of the Lord, which is the preachers, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men. Patient, in meekness instructing those who oppose themselves, that peradventure God will give them repentance and to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. And number two principle that I learned that has, I believe, a manner of life with me is I learned to be gentle to all men and kind, to live my life with a kindness. To live my life and say, you know what, I can be aggravated at you, frustrated at you, and there might be some things that I dislike even in your life because I hate to see what the devil might be doing in you and your family's life because of error on your part, but I'm still going to be kind. I'm still going to be kind, so live life kind to other people. God will bless you for that kindness. And then my life took me through the Air Force, and I went to, uh, Sherry and I and our family moved to MacArthur, or we moved to the Jacksonville when I was my second little term in the military. And I was in the Air Force for seven and a half years of active duty and a year and a half in the Guard. And this was my second stand of active duty. And while there, we began to attend MacArthur Assembly of God. The MacArthur Assembly of God was uh, where we met Pastor Larry Burton. And he became my pastor. And there's been some transition from that time till this. 
uh, today, but there were some things that I learned in Pastor Burton's life that I want to talk to you about just a little bit because I came from a solid family. My dad is here today, thank God, and Nancy. And, uh, and, and so I came from a solid family, and I didn't come through, through brokenness, but I didn't come from a pastor's home. And so Pastor Burton became my pastor, and I learned some things from emulating and watching his life. And there's the third principle that I want to throw up in front of you today. And this is my manner of life. Like it or not, I'm going to just tell you. You know what I learned? I learned this, that I was a husband and a father first. And I was a pastor second. I got one amen from another preacher. Thank God. If nobody else gets it, let the other preachers get it. And that is, listen, I'm not going to sell my family out to try to win your family. I believe collectively we can do both. But I have observed a lot of pastors in ministry that burned themselves out. And they put their own children on the sacrifice, sacrificial altar of the church while they neglect their own children. And it became a little bit harder with my family because we have a uniquely large family in today's culture. But somehow, some way, I was able to maintain that what helped me was having two understanding churches where people respected me and respected my time and respected my family. But that's a principle that I lived with in my heart for the last 30 years, the last 23 years of pastoral ministry. And it's a principle that I believe in very, very deeply. And this is my fourth principle, and I'm going to drop this in your heart today, and it's especially to the guys that are under the sound of my voice in this group real quickly. And that is, it, I recognized along that journey that it was my responsibility to lead my family. And you've heard me say this many times. And I've said, I believe that the father and the husband ought to be the last person in bed at night. He ought to be the first person up in the morning. Because God's put an anointing upon his life to be a protector over that home. To be the one that provides for that home. Not saying that, that the spouses cannot work. Families have to work that out on their own. I'm just saying that it's my responsibility to make sure. I never, I never let it be Sherry's responsibility to teach my children the word of God I never let it be your children your responsibility to teach my children the word of God it was my responsibility to teach them the word of God nobody else's it was mine and I want to challenge the men I want to challenge my sons and my son-in-laws don't drop the ball get up be the person God's called you to be God's put a sacred baton of faith in your hand and run with it run with it don't let the world don't let the things around you trip you up don't let him take it out of your hand you can raise up, I believe this with all of my heart, that, that curses, yes, can be generationally. Yes, I know that. We speak it all the time. Well, it's a generational curse. It's a, yes, but there can be a generational blessing that will follow you and follow your children and follow your children's children, and your children can be spared all the drama and all the hatred and all the malice and all the vileness that we see in other families if you'll determine that it's your responsibility to protect and to watch over your home. It's you, it's yours, nobody else's. Nobody can do it for you. None of us, even having a godly parent or grandparent, we can't do it for you. It's your responsibility. Number five is one of the principles of life that I learned years ago. And I learned to speak life. What does that mean, Pastor Brown? Speak life. The world cuts you down. The world erodes at you. The world speaks negative things about you all the time. In a, your house, there ought to be at least a pleasantness. I'm not saying I've been perfect at this, but here's what I, I believe in speaking the prophetic blessing over my family. 
I found it in the Word of God where people would literally sell things to get a prophetic blessing from a paternal parent. Come on, a father. One that was a patriarch, excuse me, a paternal patriarch. They would literally sell things in order to get that prophetic blessing. And I don't think that we as pastors have done a good enough job of conveying to the parents the power of the prophetic blessing that's in your mouth. I don't know if we've told you with enough compassion and enough passion and enough emotion to tell you that you want to see your children blessed, then stop cursing them. Don't belittle them. And if when you do make a mistake, let me tell you, every one of us have made mistakes. Every one of us have been frustrated. Every one of us have been aggravated and said the wrong thing. But I can honestly say my manner of life was this, is that when I said something negative about my children, I considered it a seed. And I know what seed can do. Once it's planted, it can grow. And when it grows, it will produce a, a, a plant, something that I don't want to see in the life of my children. So in the power of the Spirit, I learned to pluck it up. So if I said it, I went to them and I asked them to forgive me for saying it. And I would go in prayer and I would curse the seed that was sown. Just like Jesus cursed the fig tree and said, you'll not bear fruit another day. And I say to the very word that I spoke in unbelief and I spoke it in anger and I spoke it with resentment in my heart. And I didn't have an anointing on my life at that moment when the Holy Spirit would reveal to me that I spoke something about your life. And I did it and I did it negatively. I would curse that in the name of Jesus. And then I would say, God, I speak life. I speak blessing. I speak the favor of God upon them. They'll be the head and not the tail. They'll be above and not beneath. The enemy will come in one way and he'll flee seven ways because of the anointing of God's upon their life. That's what I believe and I want to challenge you today. Pluck up those seeds. You've heard me say it many times. The day you stop praying for your children, who's going to pray for them? The day that you give up and say, well, it's no use. Well, then who is going to bear the power of intercession if you stop doing it? God's called you as the parent to be the intercessor. My role changes. My role has definitely changed. I was a very direct father, but my role has changed. I'm granddad now. I don't go around spanking. <laughs> I think about it, but I don't. So my role has changed, and I'm growing into it. But I want to say this to this very day, and I'm challenging you. The way Paul, Paul didn't just write to Timothy. He wrote to us. And I'm not just speaking to them. I'm speaking through them. Speak words of life over your family. Let your home be a place. And when you have those moments and there's arguments, and who hadn't? Who hadn't? Let your children see you for, forgive one another. Be the first to go to them and apologize to them and say, I'm sorry I either said that or did that. Or I can be honest, I've spanked a little too hastily at times. And I did so, and there are times that I would go, I've had to go back and I've had to ask for forgiveness from my children that I have spanked. I didn't shed a lot of tears over that, but I did. <laughs> Let me move on. <laughs> That'll be too much of a detour. Be careful. Number six, I learned this. This is my manner of life. My manner. I, can't, I, I didn't walk with Paul. When Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, you know my manner of life. I didn't know Paul's manner of life. And so I thought for a moment, I'm going to look at my own life for a moment and see if I can say, because I could say it to my kids and say, you know my manner of life. Here's my manner of life, number six. I learned to pray audibly. Did y'all hear that? 
Jesus said, when you pray, come on, Sister Jan, say it like, when you pray, say, say it. Words have life, right? The power of life and death is in the tongue. And you want to grow in your faith, you want to get stronger, then you got to learn to pray audibly. And let me say this, I learned to preach, and I learned to prophesy, and I learned to pray walking through the woods near my home when I was a young man. And walking through my house when no one was awake. Praying the Word of God. Praying audibly and speaking the Word of God. And I believe when you learn to pray audibly, it gives you a confidence. A confidence in God. Romans 10 says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And when you look, let's put this all together real quickly. Point number one, life principle number one, core value number one, manner of life number one, whatever you want to say, I learned to study the Scriptures. So when you read, study, and meditate, you put the Word here. And when you pray, prophesy, and preach, you declare it out here. And so when you put it in here and speak it, a reciprocation begins to take place, and faith begins to rise up in your heart because you begin to build up. That's why Jude, verse number 20 says, build up your own most holy faith. How? As you pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. So pray audibly. It is not a time for silent warfare right now. It's a time for the church of Jesus Christ in our prayers to be bold and courageous and to be strong and to be unashamed in what we believe and why we believe it and declare it prophetically in prayer. And that leads me to number seven. Number seven is I learned this principle in my, in my, in my walk with Jesus. I learned very quickly that I would have to exercise spiritual warfare in prayer. And I would have to fight my battles in prayer. What does that mean? That means there are some things that I could not change. There are some things that you can't change about your church, your church family, about your job, about your situation, about your kids. There are some things that you can immediately correct. And you can say, do this, and we'll see an improvement. But there are some things that you can't do that for. But I wanted you to know today that I learned that if I got alone with God, and I began to be like Jacob, and I wrestled things out with God, and I held on to God, that God would fight my battles for me. That God would go in front of me. He would send angels. And I cannot tell you, I'm not going to testify, but there have been so many situations in my life that I have seen change, not because I did anything at all, not because I addressed anything, not because I wrote a letter or I went and saw somebody, but because I got alone with God and I wrestled this thing out in prayer. I learned the power of binding and loosing. I learned the power of casting down demonic strongholds and giving Satan no place in my life. Come on, somebody. I learned this in prayer. And I want to challenge you today you want to become the person that God's called you to be then you got to wrestle these things out in prayer in Jesus name prayer is a prayer closet yes not just for your confirmation not just for your comfort and your building up it's also the place where you draw the sword of the spirit and you begin to engage your adversary in prayer and you begin to pull down strongholds and imaginations and sometimes those imaginations and strongholds are in you and prayer is the only place that you gain the, uh, the strength to begin to deal with them and pull them down. But let me tell you this. I believe this. If you fight your battle in prayer, God will fight your battles for you. We believe that today. Number eight today, I learned this principle many years ago. Now I want to challenge each of you here today. 
I learned to be faithful to the house of God. I believe in the church. Well, there's about three of us here excited to be here today. Thank you. Obviously, you do too, or you wouldn't be here at 2 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon when nap time is calling you. I understand that. I didn't used to, but I do now. Be faithful to the house of God. When Sherry and I made a transition in our lives, and we were... When we went back to MacArthur, went to MacArthur Assembly in Jacksonville. Let me go further than this. It's one thing to attend church. It's another thing to be faithful to the house of God. Let me go further. There's a depth to it. If there was a, if there was a level of entrance into the tabernacle from the outer court to the inner holy place and then a, the behind the veil into the most holy place, there's a depth to faithfulness in the house of God. Are y'all with me there today? Stay with me. I got just a couple more. I want to drop this down in your spirit. So Sherry and I get to MacArthur Assembly, and we had been, we had, we're learning these things. You have to flesh these things out. You have to grow. And all of a sudden, when I was at MacArthur Assembly, I, I, I had a pastor. A, a, a specific moment happened in mine and Sherry's life where Pastor Burton was able to mark us. What does that mean? Marcus is using the term from the shepherd and the sheep. In the old days when they didn't have ear tags like I have as a, as a, uh, a hobby farmer today, I have a hole punch and I put an ear tag on a calf. But in those days, they had a knife and they had their mark and they marked the ear. And they call it marking the ear. And it said, I belong to that shepherd. Well, Pastor Burton, there was a moment in mine and Sherry's life where Pastor Burton marked us. And when he marked us, it changed our life. And then Sherry and I became faithful to the house of God because we had a man of God and we chose to serve the man of God. We chose to go to church not just for our good, but what could we do to help Pastor Burton in accomplishing the vision that was in his heart? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And we learned to be, uh, to be active in church, not to just attend, not to just listen to the sermon, but to make ourselves available, to volunteer, to get involved, to have somebody that we call our pastor that would know us personally and that would sow good things in our heart and life. Another thing that we learned along that journey was we learned to tithe. And I don't apologize for that principle. Listen, I believe in the tithe. I don't believe in the legalistic application of it. I don't believe in coercing you to tithe. I believe in teaching you the principle. And when God writes it on your heart, then it becomes a part of who you are. And then it's what you do with your, with your income. And I learned this principle. I learned the value of the tithe. And through my understanding of the tithe, here's another thing that I also learned. I learned to believe in miracle money. Y'all have heard me preach about it. I still believe in it. I do. I believe God is faithful, right? And I learned that. Why is that tied to being faithful to the house of God? Because I would have never known this principle had I not been faithful to the house of God. But because I was faithful to the house of God, God revealed that to me. And I don't say it like I was the only one, it was, but it was to me personally. God made it known, excuse me, to me personally in my life that if I was faithful to the house of God, faithful to honor God, and believe that God could, I'm telling you, I've seen Boaz leave things in my field that I was gleaning, that I was gleaning in that I knew could only come from the handiwork of God. And you've got to recognize that, but that comes from being faithful to the house of God. 
And I want to challenge as the world takes us and life takes us and situations take my children around the world. I want to encourage you. You've got to find the house of God. You've got to find the man of God. And you've got to find the service of God. Come on, somebody. Amen. Because the blessing of God is waiting on you as you begin to walk in that next area of your life and that life of faith. Come on. That ain't just to my children. Come on, somebody. Come on. I, I would love. I, I, you know, I love seeing the millennial generation rise up and become who God's called them to be. What I don't like is when I see the millennial generation attempt to do it apart from the older generation. That's what I dislike. I don't believe that's of God. It's not of God for us to put the older folk on the shelf and say, you don't have any value. It's not the will of God for us to look at the younger generation and say, you don't have any experience, so you don't have any value. Somehow, some way along the way, God's intended for us all to connect together. The older folk need the younger folk, and the younger folk need the older folk. Come on, somebody. And that's what makes us the house of God, and you've got to be faithful to it. You've got to be faithful to the house of God. Number nine here today, just real quickly, how many know there's only ten? Some of you said, thank God, because the preacher could preach the whole Bible. Number nine is, his word is a lamp unto my feet, and it's a light unto my path. What do you mean by that, Pastor Brown? I want you to know I don't just read the Bible for you. What do you mean by that? Well, as a pastor, it's my responsibility to teach the Word of God. It's my responsibility to have a sermon, to bring forth a message and encourage you. But I want you to know today, I do not just go to the Word of God for a sermon. I go to the Word of God because His Word is a lamp unto my feet and it's a light unto my path. I go to the Word of God because as I read and study the Word of God, God begins to shape my character. My life decisions then are based upon a conviction that comes to me from where? From the Word of God. Decisions that I made about my job, about my future. You know where I got the compulsion? I get the compulsion out of the Word of God. If I have something in my life that I need to do, that I feel like I'm, I'm not able or I'm insufficient in who I am, I go to the Word of God and I search and I pray over it and I say, Father, give me a stimulus. Show me something that, that, that gives me uh, an encouragement in my heart that will direct me in my life. And God will quicken a word in my heart and life and give me the confidence to do something that I would not ordinarily, ordinarily have the confidence to do. Situations that I've dealt with in the church where I didn't have the answer and things weren't quite working themselves out. I would go to the Word of God and I would pray over the Word and say, Father, would you direct me? Because in your Word, there's wisdom. In your Word are the precepts of life. God, I pray that you'll show me something and the Spirit of God would quicken the Word of God and would create a scenario in the Word of God and reveal it to me and I would see an image of what I was going through and what our church was going through in this picture image in the Word and I would gain the direction that God would have for us to go forward as a church family. His Word is a lamp. That means it's light my path. What does that mean? That means I'm walking in darkness and I cannot see and there are a lot of things and snares that are in front of me but when it's illuminated by the light of the word of God then I can safely navigate myself through it. His word is a lamp unto my feet and it's a light into your path. You got to believe in it. I tell our church family y'all are not around anymore. Y'all don't get to hear me say these things. I wasn't there, Mama Glow, like Thomas was. I didn't get to put my hand out and touch his hand and thrust it into his side. But John said these words in his epistle. He said, our eyes have seen, our hands have handled, 
the word of life. So maybe I didn't touch him the word flesh, but I touched him through this word. And when I read this word, I get to see, hear, feel, and commune with Jesus. And it's just as sweet as if I was with him in that Galilean room that day when he appeared and drove the shadows out of the room with the brightness of his resurrected glory. No, I wasn't there on the Galilean seaside when he performed miracles and calmed the storm and did all those things. But when I read it in the Word of God, it's like I'm right there with him. Yeah, this is the super book. Come on, somebody. This is it right here. It's a light unto your feet. It's a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. It is. got to know it, believe it, go to it. Don't be afraid of it. You need counsel? Here it is. You need direction for your life? You're searching for your identity? Come on. You're searching for your identity. You want to know, say, God, what have you called me to do? What have you called me to be? Right here, you'll find it right here. This is where you'll find it. Nobody can find it for you. This is where you'll find it. You've got to flesh it out. You've got to work it out. You've got to seek for it. You've got to pray over it. You've got to say, God, reveal it to me. I'm going to search for it right here. God, you're going to direct me through the word of God. And if you'll do this, I can promise you, God will direct your steps. He would. That's what his word says. He says he will direct your steps. And lastly today in closing, a little moment that I chose for more than one reason. I chose this moment because I don't know when I'll have this again. And I don't care. I'm a dad first. I don't care. You may not like this sermon. I don't care. The podcast is free. Anyhow, I'm not making anything off of it. But I also know it's not just to them, but it's through them. Because when Paul wrote to Timothy, he didn't just write to Timothy, but he wrote to Jojo. And he wrote to Shane. And he even wrote to Dr. Brassfield. He wrote to all of us that had a call of ministry in our life. And so he wrote to his son, but he wrote through his son, to all of us who are pastors in the call of ministry. So I'm speaking very directly to my kids, but I'm speaking to you and your children equally as well. Paul said, this is my manner of life. This is my manner of life. This is not something that I stumbled on last week. This is something I search my heart, and these things really matter, Jeff. They will. I'll, be, I'll tell you what. You do these things, and God will bless you. He will. I believe that. You do these things, and you'll be blessed. The blessing of God, the Bible says he has no sorrow to it. God is gracious. He can favor your life. You can feel limited and significant. You can feel like you don't have the right giftings and qualifications. But when he drops that anointing upon your life, everything changes. Everything changes. And when you learn that, and you learn, you know what, I'm anointed of God. And when you know you're anointed, you know it changes everything. You have a confidence. It'll give you the courage to go in a valley and say to a giant that's twice your size, who's threatening you and trying to kill you. And you say, you know what, every man on this hillside is going to see but there's a God in Israel who doesn't save with sword or shield. That same confidence that God gave David, he can give you. The same confidence that God can give Pastor Brown, he can give to you. And lastly, number 10 today. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, here's what the Word of God says. It's not my will, but it's His will. I learned in my life Everything that I want to do is not the will of God. 
Everything that I even desire to do, it's not always God's will. And sometimes I can pursue something so hard only to discover that God let me have it because I wouldn't shut up about it. And eventually, I had to learn a hard lesson. And as you age and you have enough of those examples, come on, somebody. You have enough of those examples. You finally arrive at the place where you say, you know what, God, my Father, it's not my will, but it's your will. That's what I want you to learn, all of y'all. Not my will, but thy will be done. And if you live that way every day, you'll still have a peace. I'm not responsible for all the outcome. I'm just responsible to be faithful in the situation that God's called me to be. Whether it's my own personal aspirations or not, ultimately, there have been many times I hadn't wanted to be a pastor. But I stayed the course because it was his will, not mine. There are times you're going to be asked to do things that you don't want to do. But if you're in the will of God, you're in the safest place that you can be. So I'm going to ask as Aaron joins us on the platform today, would y'all afford an opportunity for me? And I'm going to ask all my kids to come to the front. And then I'm going to ask this Dr. Brasfield dear, if he would take the anointing. And if you, as our church family, would have the courage and the willingness to come and surround and to pray over their, their lives. I wouldn't ask you to do so if I didn't believe you cared genuinely. So I'm going to ask all the way down, spouses, in order, Ashley first. And then we'll pray for you and your family. Some pastors are afraid to expose their children to the church and ask for help. You don't mind asking us for your help. Why wouldn't I ask for your prayer support? Amber and Leigh, y'all come. Anthony and Emily. Will, please. Austin and Lauren. Aaron. And Lord, let me not forget Alyssa. <laughs> Cody, come on in beside us, too. Cody's been kind of adopted family member at times. <laughs> now, life has taken... These six kids around the world, some of them. Some of them close, not all. But sometimes there's more things at work that we can't see that will take them farther. Would y'all do me a favor and come and just gather around as a family, a church family, and put a hand on a shoulder. Dr. B, if, I don't mind asking you if you wouldn't care just to take the anointing oil. It would be a great honor. For me and Cher, if you would, just to take the anointing.